All right, all right. It's that time again, your favorite Tuesday you get each week. Right about this time, it is the True Wealth Radio Show. Every time you go, all right, all right, I think of Matthew McConaughey. Like he goes, all right, all right, all right. Like just, I don't know what it is about him. It's very iconic to him. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, and I am. You totally. I was ready to call you Matthew instead of David. I am in no way, shape, or form even close to uh, (laughs) Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey (laughs) is far better looking and an actor. (laughs) So we've got that working for him. Uh, But we are here hosting the True Wealth Radio program on local. AM radio. Right. Our reach is far and deep and wide, and also the people that are listening. It's much further than I, in my head, think it to be. Like, people I'm always. Listen. I've, I've discovered people really do listen, and folks have figured out that there's a podcast. That's cool. Right. Right. And occasionally they tell their friends. And so uh, those are all neat features as a way to get the word out. Uh, mostly, though, I think this is just, this is a chance for everybody tuning in. We're going to have a good time. We're going to learn a little bit, and it'll be a little irreverent here and there. And then we will also invite you to give us questions. Try to stump us. You know, I I think we should still give out the phone number, because if (laughs) enough people call and try to get into the show, then it will sort of force the hand of the station. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> it's like, if you I call, want my own theme song and I want the phone to work. If you uh, call the station, though, and for some reason we can't get the phones to work, they can still give. They'll the actually walk, they'll the, walk the, engin- the engineers will walk the question in. Yeah, so. so we'll still answer your question. And speaking of questions, if was you. It six, have, seven, three, four, four, six, four, right? Yes. You still remember it. Yeah, Good job. Again, Um So if you have a question, call the station. But I would also say, too, if you're listening, um, we know that you have questions, which is why you listen, right? Because you're seeking answers. So if there are questions or situations that you're curious about, um, you are always welcome to email us at info at littlejohnfs.com and just say, hey, I have a question for the radio show. And we are happy to try to answer it on air as best we can, um, as long as it's not personal advice, right? Because we can't give personal advice to everyone. Well, but- I mean, if you personally call, we can give you personal advice on air. We're just airing your laundry, right? But the, the, the here's the funny thing about, so we're going to talk about some interesting things. This is good background for everybody to have. Uh, at the beginning of the program, it says, well, this is opinions, not necessarily the radio station, or rah, rah, rah. Uh, we're also... Uh, the the disclosure is that we don't offer investment advice uh, in, in a in personal investment advice, right? We offer investment advice in the, in the generic sense, but personal advice is something that is specific to you, right? Meaning it's an actionable piece of data, and there are some good reasons for that. It's because our firm operates as fiduciaries for our clients, right? And it's by uh, the way that we are licensed with the various regulata- regulatory authorities. And in, a sim- in layman's terms, what is a fiduciary? So, so a fiduciary is a person that has a legal obligation to put the customer's interest ahead of their own, and it's an ongoing obligation. Okay. Okay. So uh, when you think about investment advice, you think, hey, well, if I give you investment advice, I need to keep it current for you. So when we have a client at our firm, then we have to stay in touch with the client and continue to monitor their personal circumstances to make sure there are no changes that would make their strategy no longer relevant and we need to change the advice. So there's another term that's thrown around our industry a lot, which is suitable. Is it suitable for the investor, right? Does it fit their needs? Right. And the funny thing is, when you have a fiduciary role, then the investment is suitable. 
but it's a higher standard than suitability. Suitability, I, I like to think of it as, is it's an adequacy gauge, right? It's like, well, in the moment that the the advice was given, it was adequate advice. Right. It's maybe not the best advice, but it's not bad. It's sufficient, right? Right. Uh, if that's the case, then the person providing the advice has met the suitability hurdle, and if things which if, is a very low. It's not that it's low. Hurdle. No, it's not. So, all right. But it's not I'm, super high. Well, all right, it's not I'm the gonna, high jump either. I'm going to be careful. No, it's a, it's, this is the, industry has a little chip on its shoulder about this, right? So fiduciary advisors have a chip on their shoulder because there's a regulatory difference between how things are treated. Okay, and so the fiduciary standard is similar to what you would see at a trust company or something. When when you have a legal obligation to represent the party that you're working with in the party's best interest on an ongoing basis, that's different than simply being suitable. Okay, it's a higher standard or obligation. And here's what's going on, and this is why there's a little chip on the shoulder in the industry. And I want to be careful the way I phrase this because uh, this is an industry chip on their shoulder. This is not a Little John financial chip. This is not a David chip. It might be a Katie chip. I don't know. It's not a Katie chip. Yeah. What happens is there are different business models or different types of financial practices. Right. The traditional 40 years ago kind of practice, and really 25 years ago even, was the model where things were sold for commissions. So that's where we kind of came up with the term stock broker. Yeah, a stock broker was a person that facilitated transactions for their customers. And got paid to do so. Yeah, oftentimes they would call the customer and say, hey, I got a tip, I got a great idea, you should buy this thing. And then the customer would buy it, there would be a transaction that would occur, and then away everybody went. There was there were probably pretty good stockbrokers at one point in time. Right. But what's happened is the internet has changed the way that we interact with the investment world. You know why? Because it's more instant. Well, yeah, information is pretty much free now, and it's available to everybody. It but used to be that the, the stockbroker that had the trading desk at Merrill Lynch back in the day, they had they knew information <laughs> that you didn't have access yeah, to. Yeah, they knew some stuff. <laughs> and so they could get better deals and they had they knew about things sooner it wasn't necessarily inside information but we didn't have the distribution channels we do today right today the president of the united states can directly tweet to your phone and within seconds of them hitting send on in the white house you have a message on your phone and you know what they said right you don't have to wait for the newspaper to come out you right? don't have to so, find out about it on a radio program later yeah so we have really ubiquitous access to information now and if that's the case, it's it certainly changes the advantage or the landscape that finance takes place in. Okay. okay? So what was the fiduciary rule or why are, why do people well, have a chip on their shoulder? Here's why because the financial planning association and and then fiduciary advisors are registered as different type of financial professional than a broker. Okay. Okay. So a broker has different licenses and different obligations. You can have both licenses, by the way. You can have a broker that also has an advisory license. Okay. But if you're just an advisor and not a broker, then you are a fiduciary by the type of registration you have. So you're held to that fiduciary standard. And in a way, it was a little bit pouty because what the advisors were saying is, well, how come we're held to this higher standard and everybody else is saying they're doing the same thing, but it's not the same? 
It was it was kind of snooty like why that. Why does it right? sound like my two young children fighting over like a teddy bear? Well, why does it? <laughs> sometimes it looks like that, right? And it's not that they are wrong, right? They really are two different things. A financial advisor has a different legal obligation to their customer. But what what gets twisted is people will try to say one is better than the other. No, they're just different. They're they're different, and I got to tell you, in my career. I have met very few predatory financial professionals. True. Most of the people I have met are genuinely trying to do right by their clients for very good reason. If their clients are unhappy, they stop being their clients. Yeah. Little bit of self-fulfilling right? there, right? So being so, the best advisor you could be so that you can retain your clients. Right. And so so there are some there's a real natural order to a capital-driven system that prevents most people from being too predatory. That being said, there are bad apples out there, and they kind of blow it for everybody. Well, there's bad apples in every industry, but absolutely. there's also super great apples in every industry. Well, I, I think so too, and you're absolutely right. You can pick anywhere you go, and whether it's in the, the restaurant business, and there's that one person that, you know that's behind closed doors that's just terrible when you find out they're violating health codes and everything else, and there's no place for that, right? But they they what they do is they insert doubt for every organization. Right. And the financial industry is no different, that there are crooks. Right. Okay. But the vast majority of people, in my experience, are trying hard to do right by their customer. Right. The, the shift was when folks tried to elevate one over the other. And so there became a real interesting call. It was, it's, fight's not the right term, but there was a bit of an industry uproar over the how we were going to implement some rules and it came out of a very weird back channel through the uh now i'm gonna space on who it was it it's like the wasn't it department of labor it was that's it DOL? that's it thank you yeah the, so the department of labor okay and what the department like, of labor yeah no, that's it was it. the dol it is no <laughs> i was trying to remember the specific acronym right so so the department of labor which is not like the securities and exchange commission and they're not any of the state regulatory authorities right. this is the department of labor right but but they interpreted within the rules of retirement plans that advice needed to be ongoing that you couldn't provide investment advice one time at the time the advice was received, it needed to be ongoing. Right. And for all of the firms out there that had been built around the model of just providing a suitable transaction at the time of the transaction, found themselves in a real tight spot because all of a sudden they were going to be held to a fiduciary standard when they had not been before. Yeah, and they were kind of like, uh-oh. Well, it creates a panic because now there's a lot more infrastructure that you have to put in place and you have to prove that you're maintaining an ongoing obligation. So I remember a conversation with someone else in this industry um, who shall remain nameless, and they said, oh, are you guys panicked about this ruling? And I said, no, we've been acting as fiduciaries all along, so it doesn't change the way we operate at all. Right. In, but, in essence, it made brokers have to act like advisors. Right. It's but like, but well, it, no, didn't, we... it didn't shift much of the advisor role because the advisor was already doing it. Right. So it just kind of made everybody conform to the same playing rules. A yes, bit. here's where it got tricky, right? There's a there's a funny thing that happened that where the public is going, well, how am I supposed to know? Right. You know what it is? <laughs> what is it? It's what we talk about after the break. Oh, there you go. Okay. So love cliffhanger. Yeah, we'll do this because the, I'll, I'm gonna try to make sense of why is there such confusion between broker and advisor. 
Well, we'll we'll clear that up when we come back. Stick Sounds around. Good. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEA. Hey gang, welcome back to True Wealth Radio Program. We're uh, gonna become a program instead of a show. Yes. <laughs> I don't remember multiple choice. <laughs> Or yes or no answer. Indubitably. So, uh, <laughs> so the question we left everybody with, besides Katie trying to throw a wrench in my intro, is <laughs> the question, uh, if you're just joining us, there was a, this background, right? So the Department of Labor had a ruling, and what it all comes down to is there are two primary schools of thought in the investment landscape for professionals that interact with the retail marketplace. And retail in this place is... People, you, you, me, your neighbors. You, the consumer who right? has an account somewhere. As opposed to institutional interactions between businesses and other banks and other financial institutions. Right? So uh, on the retail space, the two primary interfaces are going to be the broker or the advisor. Now, there's one other type, but it's not typically relevant to investments, and that is the agent. Okay, So agent, broker, advisor. advisor. And is it an advisor or advisor? That's a great question, Katie. So explain explain what you're asking me first so our listeners are in on the joke. Okay, so some investment advisors spell it with an O-R and some spell it with an E-R. Advisor versus advisor. What's the difference? Nothing, as far as I can tell, the spelling. So is it like theater spelled two ways? Like just I think so. You, you yeah, pick one, the English or the British, right? Or color with or without an e or an o u r or whatever. Okay. So the, uh, the 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 industry. So it has nothing to do with the actual licensing or anything else that you can tell. Not to my knowledge, and this is the goofy. I've looked this up for years trying to figure out the answer, and as best I can tell, nope, it's just some stupid thing that people do where it's got one or the other. Okay, just curious. Yeah. All right. And. The, the, here's the problem with the financial industry. If you don't know what question to ask, it's really easy for somebody to just say, well, I'm a consultant, right? Which is, you know, 99 ways to kiss somebody and they never kissed anybody, right? That's it. It's, you know, I'll tell you 99 ways, but I've never tried a single one of them. Uh, it's that that's the definition of consultant, as they say. Well, and there's kind of other- like, you know, the definition of expert. You know what that one is? No. Knows just a little bit more than you. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so. Well, then the one that always, um, I have to stop and actually think about the acronym. So there's an RIA and an IAR. Correct. They're not the same thing. Nope. One is a registered investment advisor. So, and don't forget, there's also the IRA. So those, there's these three letters are just <laughs> horrible in the industry. So we'll- Damn it, Scrabble. What are I you know, doing to me? You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> so there's the IRA, the RIA, and the IAR. Okay, so an IRA is an individual retirement arrangement or account and something Great. that you personally have as a retirement investment. Yeah, it's a type investment. of account. Yeah. Right. Okay. The RIA is a registered investment advisor. Yes. So that's the firm. That's okay, the firm. Okay. Think a company registers. Here's where it gets kind of tricky. You've heard of you know, like a sole proprietor or a single member entity like a single member LLC or S corporation or even a C corporation. It's just one person that registers their corporate entity. Right. So the entity is the RIA. So are you an RIA? No. You are an RIA. Little John Financial Services Inc. is a registered investment investment advisor advisor firm. The IAR is the Investment Advisory Representative. So I am a representative of Little John Financial Services, RIA. 
I am an IAR. See how confusing this is, folks? Like, And by the way, I get tested on all of this soon. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's good, clean family fun. No, right? it's not. It's muddy and messy, and I hate it. <laughs> so, it, it, so there's the acronym soup. But here's the here's the question. So now you've got consultant, you've got advisor, you've got planner. That's the other one. People say, well, I'm a planner. Um, are you and, a certified planner, or are you just a planner? Okay, if you're certified, by whom is certified you? Uh, so, and I feel like financial advisor, that word, it's or that title, gets thrown around a lot. Like, oh, I'm a financial advisor. And it's so, like, well, what does that mean? It absolutely gets thrown around a lot, and it doesn't mean much. Okay, It's a pretty generic term. It's been loosely glommed onto by many organizations. And you may have an insurance professional that says, that says they're, they're a financial advisor or a financial planner. You can have... A registered representative. Now that's different than in IAR, right? A registered rep is registered to represent a specific entity, typically. So a broker dealer, uh, which is, we're, we're getting too deep into the weeds for you all to care, but think of it this way. No, they're, but it's important for them to know, yeah, like, and understand who they're working with yeah, and the, what that person actually is. Yeah, if you went to Morgan Stanley, and I say that because they're still around, even though they don't have a local branch in Roseburg anymore, they're they're around. You could go to Eugene, there's Let's a Morgan Stanley Fargo. branch. Okay, Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo Advisors, okay. right, that's the name of their advisory entity. firm. I'm not even going to call it advisory firm okay. because they are a broker dealer okay. with a registered investment advisor inside of that wrapper, which makes it all the more confusing because right. they're co-existent under uh -huh. a single name. And then the representatives are the registered representatives of Wells Fargo Advisory Services. Okay. okay. Because they're representing right. Wells Fargo. Or Wells Fargo Investments or Wells Fargo Private Banker, Private Client Services. They've got all these different names for it. I don't know all of them. Okay. okay. And I'm not picking on Wells Fargo. They just We're became just our example We're just giving you an example, today. folks. Uh, the registered representative is employed by Wells, Wells Fargo. Fargo. And so they represent Wells Fargo. And then the products that are offered through Wells Fargo are exactly that. They are offered and they are typically commissionable events when you purchase them. Okay. Typically, unless you get into an advisory arrangement underneath that, in which case you may pay a fee-based arrangement, and typically those are fiduciary in nature. So the you advice need to has know to be ongoing if they're going to be right. getting paid ongoing. Right. Now, if you get uh, in, if you go by to your property and casualty insurance agent and buy homeowners insurance, is that an investment? No. 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 What if you go to that same agent and they say, oh, by the way, you can buy uh, an IRA from me and we can invest it in ABC Mutual Fund. Is that an investment? Yes. Yes. What are they doing? Are they an insurance agent? Yes. Yes, they are. Now, the agent is different than an insurance broker, right? How do we know? Oh, because a broker is not captive to one product. Or, Correct. Or, like, Correct. Yeah, so you nailed it. So um, a captive agent would be somebody that works if for... If you work for farmers. Farmers or American family yeah, or something so like that. Yeah, you, so you represent farmers' insurance product line. And you but, sell their products. Right, but here's where people get confused again. Farmers does not have their own investments. So farmers has an investment firm, and you can go to your farmers' insurance agent who might be licensed to sell mutual funds. And you can buy mutual funds from your farmers' agent. But he's kind of a middleman... For the whole thing. Well, he's not the investor, right? He's a representative that is being, tra it's a transaction. That's what I'm saying, like he's the middleman. Yes, and so as a middleman or woman, 
right? Or woman. So whatever. in this scenario, or purple, they are, they are, <laughs> uh, they are a registered representative for the financial entity associated with farmers insurance. Okay. And the advice that they offered in setting you up with that IRA was suitable at the time of the advice. But it's not a fiduciary. But it's not fiduciary if they received a commission for it. And it's a transaction. It's over at that point. You need to call them if you want something done. Right? It's now your problem, not theirs. They don't really have an ongoing obligation to make sure the investment is working for you. Right. They just, it was, but it, once again, back to suitability. It was suitable to, it at the was time. suitable at the time. Now, the savvy business person would call and say, hey, I think something has changed. How is your life circumstance look? And if it is changed, maybe we should change investments. But we are, I say we, the entire industry is cautioned about doing that when it's a commissionable event because it can give the appearance that the advice is specifically to generate a new transaction and a new commission. So don't they use the term to, churning? If you do it frequently and improperly, it would be churning. There are and, times it's still appropriate, though. So it's not necessarily guaranteed to be guaranteed to be churning. And what and what does that mean to the industry or to the consumer? Like if, if we say over oh, churning and churning, churning is buying and selling things for the sake of generating commissions, not for the best interest of the customer. Right, and that's a big no no in our industry. Big no no. Big no no. Yeah, you don't do that, and right, and it's also it's an ethical issue too. Yeah, so, there's a lot of ethics, by the way. So lots of ethical stuff surrounding this industry too. They yes. want to make sure that people are really trying right. hard to make sure that the client is covered. Right. Now, shift gears again. The question that everybody's thinking, great, why are you telling me all this nonsense? Okay, it's I'm gonna nonsense. I'm gonna get you to the shortcut question. <laughs> oh, there's a shortcut? The shortcut question I to like ask the financial person is, are you a fiduciary? Now, we, we've been talking about a fiduciary. Why is that question the important one? Because a fiduciary, first of all, has a, obligate, a legal obligation to you. So if they were churning an account, they would have to have a reason for it that made sense. And if they didn't have a reason for it, then in theory, they could be in a liability position because yeah. they are improperly managing your account. Also, by and large, fiduciaries don't operate in a commissionable environment any longer. The regulations have made it such that they simply won't. Instead, they will operate on what would be called a fee-based or a fee-only arrangement. So they're going to receive a percentage of your account or a either a flat fee, like we charge this much per hour, this is the advice you get. Or if they are managing your investments, they would say we will take a percentage of your account value as the compensation. Right. This can sound goofy, right? Because some people think, well, why would I pay them a percentage? But the idea is to align your interest, right? Now, if they grow the account, they get a raise for doing the job well. Yeah, you lose money, they lose they money. They lose money too. And let me tell you, I don't know anybody who actually likes losing money. Right. The And the real trick is when people say, well, why don't I just make an arrangement where they only get paid if they make me money? And if they don't make me money, they don't get paid. Mm, but it, they could be really starting to take some risky moves in order to make sure they get paid. And that might not be good at all. Yeah, that's that's really the key for everybody to think about is if you only pay somebody for hitting home runs, all they try to do is hit home runs. Yeah, which so, if you think about how and, much and harder that's not, swinging, you know, Yeah, and, I mean, you win a lot of baseball games making singles and doubles. Right. And investing is the same way. You don't want to swing for the fences on every shot because when you miss, it's what it more of a problem. It can hurt a lot. So... so that's the trick is you don't want to incentivize somebody to take on more risk than you're comfortable with by putting in place a detrimental arrangement. See, now you brought up a whole different thing. Now you're talking about risk. How do I know how much risk I want? Because I've heard people tell me 
um, when we're filling out paperwork, oh, I'm super conservative. Now, and I'm amazed because their risk tolerance is actually pretty aggressive. So, so those are not aligned. And what I have come to learn is that when people say that they're conservative, what they're saying is, I don't want to feel like I'm gambling and I don't really want to lose a lot of money. Ah, so you've keyed in on this word that I, it's, this is one of those, it's like a catnip word for me. Okay. <laughs> uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about this gambling. Okay. Oh, yeah. The that, G word. The, that's like the four letter word of investing is gambling. So we're going to cover that one and we'll talk about how that correlates to risk when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Don't distract me anymore, <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm taking another uh, you know break from it, so it's good. Uh, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. I'm going to call it a show, not a program, because it sounds more entertaining. <laughs> okay. When you think of program, I think of like the stuff that your parents used to make you watch when you were little. Like, oh, we're going to watch this educational program right now. Okay. I know it's weird. It's okay. <laughs> we all have our own hangups. I have mine. It's fine. So, all right. So we were talking. Investing about- is not gambling, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not supposed to be gambling, David. And if you feel like you're gambling, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you're not investing. By definition, investing is not gambling. They are calculated risks, certainly, but you would, should never be attempting to... First of all, gambling has fairly poor odds, right? Unless uh, you're the house. Well, yeah, the house isn't gambling. That's true. Right? The house has superior odds, so they know they're not gambling. They're just playing the odds. Right. Okay? And this is the issue. Now... If you are at a point where you feel like you're gambling, then you've crossed outside of the investment landscape. You are now into speculating. Which is an interesting thing, because speculating means like, hey, I like this new fancy shiny doohickey thing, and I want to go put a lot of money in that, and I'm okay if it doesn't go anywhere. Speculating means lots of things, but it there's an understanding with speculating that you could... Potentially lose everything. Maybe lose everything, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the scenario. But it just means I know that this is a high-risk venture and it may not work out. Okay, Or it could go up 500% in six months and you'd be like, (laughs) woohoo. And some people may argue that what I'm discussing is semantic in nature. That, well, no, a very aggressive investment is still speculation. Okay. Mm, Okay. I'm I'm not really going to get to that point with you. What I'm going to suggest is that investing by its definition it shouldn't be gambling. You know, if you're just if you feel like you're gambling, then you're really not, you are guessing. You're not doing very good homework, okay? And and I think that's part of the problem is that there a, a reasonable, educated guess and a reasonably diversified, capital-based portfolio should make money over time because the system is designed to do that. Right. Right. I mean, it's not a surprise. You go, well, inflation's built into the system. I would expect that profitable companies that outpaced inflation would be worth more. But by the way, for those of you that are new to investing or considering investing, understand the market does not just go up every day. There are periods when the market fluctuates, like, and it's going to go down a little and it'll go up. Overall, over time, it's gone up, right? But there are periods of time where it goes down, and those are the difference between the bull and the bear market. Right, went up today, which Yay. is nice. But the the but wasn't up is, last Tuesday. No. So see, it fluctuates. So just letting you know, like you can't, don't stare at your portfolio every day. You're going to drive yourself crazy. True. We so, stare at your portfolio every day, and it drives us crazy. So don't do it. Also We're already true. doing it for you. Also true. 
Uh, and if you're not our client, well, then become our client, and we will stare at our, the, your portfolio <laughs> every day, and it will drive us crazy, and you can sleep at night. Uh, <laughs> pass the buck. Just pass pass the responsibility. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we, we've been talking about the advisor versus consultant and what that has meant today and so forth. And, and really, the, the question that boils down to is, uh, are, is this relationship fiduciary or not? And in the next that you should ask is, is it an agency or a brokerage relationship? So if it's not fiduciary, then you know, okay, well, then commissions are going to be associated with this. So the next thing is, are you representing me? Or are you representing the company that has products that we're looking at? Okay, so uh, just so we're clear, some captive agents have really good available product that other brokers that represent the whole the whole all the, the industry that will make their products available right and I say that because there are this what's known as a proprietary product okay? oh. if you've heard that term before proprietary means exclusively available through that source so could you give me an example of a proprietary product farmers only sells farmers property and casualty insurance. How about that? Okay. Right? So if you have farmer's insurance, I know this because I know some farmer's agents. Uh, and depending on the contract that the agent has with farmers, they may be limited to only farmer's product. For things that farmers doesn't offer, they may be able to broker a solution. Which uh, means go out and source yeah, as, out something else that's... Yeah, as an example, needs. farmers has their own auto insurance program. Okay. Right? So you can get farmer's auto insurance from a farmer's agent but farmers doesn't have airplane insurance so you, i'm assuming that would be a really niche market typically yes but a farmer's agent if they would may be able to broker air, airplane insurance to you through third-party companies but they can't broker auto insurance to you they're not going to get you progressive insurance from your farmer's agent right yeah, which you're all laughing right now, going, "Well, duh!" But that's what this means. That's, that's why we're the talking difference about between it. agent and broker. Do you know the agent is employed by the company they represent, and there's a slightly different obligation to whom they owe their allegiance, if you will. So you come in with a need, and they say, "Well, here's the best product that we can offer for your need." Versus you come to a broker and say, here's my need, and the broker's supposed to shop the various options they have and select the best option for your need. So one of the things that we do at our firm is David and Justin both are registered to sell life insurance or help with life insurance. Right. Are you, and which one are you? I know which so, one you are, but I just want yeah, you to tell so the world. We were brokers. Okay. By our, by, you know, we, there's no proprietary product that our firm has for anything, actually. So you can shop around and, you know, you could use any available life insurance product that's available to a broker. Correct. Provide, and we may have to get appointed with the company so that we're, you know, legally authorized to represent them and so forth. But yes, we could do that. Okay. Uh, now. And why is that important? For, uh, for you, why did you decide to go that route versus a pr proprietary product? And I'm asking just a personal question. Sure. So when when we built the company and it started back in 2010, it was after leaving a, a scenario where I was a registered representative and it, in a fairly, uh, even though it was small, it was still a fairly corporate environment. There were a lot of guardrails placed around protecting the company instead of the client. And you wanted to look out after the client. Well, you know, everybody wants to manage their liability. I'm not going to lie to you and say that our company doesn't care about uh, the company's liability. We absolutely do. Oh, heck yeah. But 
I felt like some of the things that were imposed or the limitations for the clients weren't necessarily in the client's interest at all. So uh, I, I wanted the ability to be more flexible for our clients. And that meant being uh, able to be more of a boutique operator. So we went out on our own, became an independent organization. And the, the question you've asked me is, well, why broker versus agency relationship was the independence concept meant that our firm, so so Little John Financial, contracts with third parties provide solutions for our clients. So we don't, as an example, we have a custodian for our investments, and that's that's where we open up and house our client accounts, and that's where we do our trading activity and so forth. And that custodian, if we're unhappy with them, we can essentially fire them and move to a different custodian. Yeah, we're not like, captive. Like the representative of Merrill Lynch is stuck, or, or not Merrill, we used Wells Fargo earlier, right? So yes. if the Wells Fargo representative gets the Wells Fargo suite of tools. And that's all they get. And they can't if they don't leave. like that suite of tools, then the client's sort of out of luck. They're going to have to go to a different organization besides Wells Fargo right. in order to get something. Right. Whereas in our world, what we say is, okay, well, if you're happy with the firm and the service but we don't like the provider we'll get a different provider because they are we're their customer right so we hire or fire our providers and we represent our clients that that independence was important to me on the insurance side too to be consistent with how we represent our clients which is we don't have an allegiance to any specific product we wanted to go out there and be able to find what we perceive to be the best solution available to our client and solutions change, people. I mean, times change, products change, things change. I mean, there's been times when we've offered one product and then later, a few years later, it's and, know, switched. And, you know, and it's not like, I don't want to make it sound like we switch all the time or anything, but but again, as a fiduciary, you're constantly looking out for your client and oh, looking yeah, out for yeah, the yeah. best options available. And things definitely evolve, and that's on the investment side. The insurance side's really interesting because it's much more regulated than folks realize. So uh, life insurance, for example, it's state regulated. Each state has its own insurance department. There's not a federal insurance regulatory body per se. I mean, there's some general rules that are standardized, but it's mostly left up to the state jurisdiction. So each state gets its own unique product line. So, so if you bought life insurance in California versus buying life insurance in Ohio, the contracts might not look the correct. same? Correct. Okay. That's that's literally correct. But what it also does is because most most of the brokered product, right, when, when you have a life insurance product, rarely do you get a different contract that's available to say our office versus uh, some online insurance agency. It's pretty typical that it's the same contract. Uh, the the rare exception might be if that company does tremendous amounts of volume with a specific provider, and they may have a, a niche product that gets pushed through the state where it's just for them. And usually, what they do is it's not the product that's unique; it's the compensation structure for the representative. Ah. Uh, but the underlying product is essentially the same thing. Uh, but that's another interesting thing to bring up, too, just talking about life insurance for a minute, because it's part of holistic financial planning, is we talk about insurances a lot well, in the, the process. it's the contingency, but, yeah. I mean, yeah. in a plan, life insurance, let's be honest. It's I the mean, backup plan. It, well, it's... Yuck. For your, it, I mean, come on. Life insurance is insurance in general is well is no fun as an investor because you buy it hoping you'll never need it, and then it costs you money that you never see again. And it's like, well, I would have sure rather had the use of that. And I love that they call it life insurance and not death insurance, right? Because they're not really being honest. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're not getting paid to live. <laughs> You're yeah. Paying they, for it in case you die. So it's a very interesting concept. But um, but the point I was trying to get at was 
that if you know if you bought life insurance from David versus buying it from the guy down the road, David and the guy down the road are going to get paid exactly the same on the same contract. Yeah, it's essentially it's, the same because it's state regulated product, right? Like David's not going to he can't say, oh well, I'm going to charge you fifty dollars and this guy's only going to charge you forty. The insurance yeah, it's, company it's sets literally the same thing. We've had some clients that have come to us before. You know, I've had friends of mine that come and say, "Well, I got these quotes from this person. It looks like this," and I said, "Well, you know, that's the exact same quotes that I would get if we ran them for you." So, uh, although we have, there's been times when people have said, "I got a quote from a proprietary product," and we said, "Well, let us see what else is out there." And yeah, well, sometimes that's different, right? And because at times we've been able to. There are times that we can get really, a better deal. We can really do well, but even then, I. Uh, it's the funny thing is I'm not here to demonize any part no, of the industry. No, not at all. Uh, sometimes proprietary companies, the, an individual product may not be that affordable. So yeah, I can get life insurance from ABC, you know, insurer, uh, and then I want to get my car insurance somewhere else. But then you realize, but if you got the, both the car insurance and the life insurance and the homeowners insurance and everything in one spot, your total package may be cheaper. And I, I laughed when this actually got explained to me, like about the, the policy, like the group discount. Right. Okay, so like you're you're not likely, right, to have your house burned down, you die, and like your car destroyed. Like everything that you've insured is not likely to simultaneously implode. Right. Yeah. So like it's usually one thing or the other. So it like it makes up for itself. So they are spreading their risk around. Right. And what happens is the so you they offer what's known as a multi-line discount because right. you're you're providing a a larger chunk of premium to them, but they're able to spread the risks out over more events. And so it improves your actuarial position, which means they can give you more competitive pricing. Right. And that can oftentimes work. So I, t I tell folks, you know, I think it's worth. And the other thing that folks forget, I mean, here I am, financial professional, saying, hey, if you won't do it yourself, then you need to hire somebody like our firm. I say the same thing about insurance. Uh, insurance is oftentimes more complex than people realize. Policies have a lot of hidden little doodads and you know gotchas in there. And I think working with a good agent is really valuable. It can right. be, especially I, I, if you need them. Well, you know, and nobody it, cares when they don't need them, right? Well, nobody right. cares if you don't have an accident. Well, but what happens you if you really, get in an accident? Exactly. You really do get what you pay for. It's in, true. In, in many of these circumstances, because I've had scenarios where I've had issues occur and I've had really great service. Now, I'm not going to make an endorsement of any company or person right now, but the agent I've worked with and the service I've had when I've needed it has been really a, a good quality. Uh, experience for me, nice. and uh, as much as one can have in the event of catastrophe, uh, that be and 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 I've been around folks that have had really terrible experiences with budget carriers where they just fought and gave them all kinds of problems, and the rationale at the time was, well, it's what I could afford, and then later on it came back to bite them. <laughs> yes. I've I've had both, and and I would say it's it's not not fully understanding what you're buying, right? I think a lot of times. And as a consumer in general, we shop by price, but the price is not always like, you know, you got to make sure that you're also getting the quality for the price too as right. well. Um, and is it worth it to pay a little bit more to have a way superior product? And that's something that yeah. you need to ask yourself too. It's not always about just getting the best deal. Well, and so let me now ask you another question right before the break, oh. which I'm going to take here, which is, uh, what is an experience worth? Oh, that's such a good question. Can I answer that after the break? We're going to answer it after the break. Okay. So, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie it into this because this will make it really fun for Katie. We're going to talk about a fine bottle of wine oh, when we come back. Uh -oh. This is David Littlejohn. <laughs> and Katie Shuck. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN.
This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Radio Show. Show. <laughs> I wasn't going to let him get away with it this Show. time, folks. Show. All right. And if you were just joining us, this is another opportunity to check out the podcast. We've covered a great deal of ground today. Podcasts on iTunes. And Blueberry. Yeah. And, and there, you can you can go to 541radio.com. They've got them there. Uh, that is the Brooks, Brook Communications webpage, right? So 541 yep. Radio. There's so lots of ways. You yeah. can just Google True Wealth Radio Show right. and it'll pop up. Or just go to our webpage. Right. Go to littlejohnfs.com. They're all published there as well. You might have to dig around a little bit. We're kind of reconstructing things behind the scenes to make it easier. But for now, it's a treasure hunt. You'll find it. Oh, it's always uh, a treasure. All right. So we are talking about experiences. Experience. So remember, what is an we've, experience we've and we've had to frame a number of things. We've talked about a bunch today. We've talked about uh, all the various terms that get thrown around in financial services that you don't mean much. Have had a financial vocabulary lesson today. Yeah. So we've talked about oh, is it a consultant or an advisor? Advisor or a broker or an agent or a this or a that or a fiduciary, right? That's our key takeaway is, is are they or aren't they in the fiduciary spot? And then we start talking about the interaction we're, we're, between the consumer and the agent. Right. And, and my, my challenge question to you, Katie, is about the experience. All right. So now, go ahead. The experience is I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, but I think so for those of you that don't know, Katie hails from the wine industry. I do. And I poached her from the wine industry, <laughs> which delights me. Although I keep saying I can turn him into a very expensive wino, but I don't know if that'll ever happen. <laughs> I'm so bad at wine. It's just, it's really, it's it's hilarious to be in the Umqua Valley and be as bad at wine as I am. I am really, I have, I have many competencies, but that's not one of them. Uh, so, the experience factor. Okay, so you go to a, a great restaurant and you've had a fantastic meal and you order a bottle of wine and it's one that you recognize. It's one that you could buy in your local grocery store. It's a $20 bottle of wine and you see it on the menu and it's... 60 60 What do you say to yourself? I, so me personally, if it's a wine that I know I like, I would still order it. Okay. Uh, but part of it is that... Um, you know, being at that, I believe that wine actually, if you order the right wine, complements your food. And so it enhances my experience, my dining experience, having everything kind of mesh together um, on my palate. So I am willing to pay the extra money to have the enhanced experience. Right. Katie is also a total foodie. This I is where <laughs> I am a cretin and I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, There's two types of people, right? People that eat to live and then people that live to eat. So now let me I turn this eat. entire experience around. <laughs> you have two different insurers that you can get. You can go to a, an, a local agent and pay for, let's just say, uh, your auto insurance for the next six months. And let's say it's, I don't know, it's $1,000. Okay. Or you can go online and you can get uh, six months at Progressive for $750. What do you do? See, that's a tough one. Now, I would say it depends. Um, so me, Are you asking like me personally, this is how I'd answer? Or are sure. you saying, are yeah, we how talking more hypothetical? First you can, but I mean, however you want to answer so it. I've, I've done both, actually. So there's been times when I've worked with um, people I've known or met through the industry because I knew that I would get great customer service. And if I ever had issues, I could always call on them. Um, I changed insurance when the person that was my representative left the insurance 
industry. And then I found myself kind of floundering and then I went to the price. Now I will tell you my personal experience on that, that um, we thought we had windshield coverage, which we did, right? So we took our car in and we didn't have to pay to get the windshield replaced because a, a rock cracked it, but they raised our rates. And I said, wait a minute, but we paid for the extra windshield coverage. What happened? And they said, well, you now have a claim on right. your thing. And by the way, what was interesting is it didn't raise the rates at the agency I was at, but because of the way they filed the paperwork when I had switched carriers, they saw it as a claim and not as covered. So everybody doesn't look at everything quite with the same colored eyes, you know, like it's, they're all, they all kind of, one saw it as a claim, the other person didn't. So it depends on the firm. I, I've done both, but I would say when I was working with the agent, I had a much better experience. Um, and I think sometimes it's worth it to pay that little bit extra for that experience. So here's, here's gonna be my take home for everybody listening. The agent is kind of like having buying the more expensive wine. Okay. Now, in Katie, in your scenario, it's about the experience and how it brings everything together. You want the experience. But I think what the agent often does is more appropriate to the scenario you just described, which is you expect them to fill in the gaps of knowledge that you lack. Right. Right. So when you have a good professional in your world, they should know more than you do. So they should help know the things you don't know. I love when you always say you don't know what you don't know. Right, you don't know what you don't know. I don't know what I don't know. But I will tell you that as a financial professional that lives and breathes this day in and day out, I have a much higher probability of stumbling across it well before the average person does. Right. And that's really the key. So surround yourself with people that you like and trust that can help fill in the knowledge gaps that you have. And that's a pretty good strategy. Well, and I know that we've had people come to our office that we've helped with paperwork where one phone call for me and I asked the right questions and it took them an hour to get nowhere yeah so bottom line is this uh, seek help where you need it and if you don't have that help call give us, us a call and we will help you find it yeah, all right 541 you can find us on Facebook check out our website littlejohnfs.com all right, the usual haunts. Uh, until next time, as always, thank you for joining us. Katie, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, and uh, this has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. On True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. The preceding program.